Well, um, welcome once again to Berean Reformed Baptist Church um, meetings on Fridays, where th this is just called issues affecting the church today. That is what the meeting is called. Uh, and, and so today we will be looking at uh, under misapplied or misinterpreted texts of the Bible, which we are convinced are issues affecting the church today. Because if you can't interpret the scriptures appropriately, how will you be able to apply them appropriately and live them out? So if you don't know the scriptures, how will you be able to live out the Christian life? And so today... <clears throat> we'll be we'll be looking at the text in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles with me, turn there. Matthew chapter 6, particular focus on verse 33. Verse 33. Uh, feel free to uh, stop me along the way, ask questions or ask for clarification if you have heard if you haven't heard anything, but otherwise we will really open it up for questions later on. So, chapter 6, verse 33, hear the word of God as it comes to you. In fact, let me read from verse 31 to 33, and then I'll give us a quick background uh, and, 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 and really try to uh, unpack what is going on here. So, the word of God reads from verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you, that you need them all. And this is our text for today, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Let me finish with verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, I would like to give us a setting. What is going on here? The setting is that this is in the Sermon, of the Mount, uh, Sermon on the Mount, where the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching uh, his disciples. And it said, um, the, Sermon of the, the Sermon on the Mount is the first uh, teaching of five great blocks uh, of teaching in the gospel according to Matthew. And it stretches over two chapters. Is that electricity? Pause. Thank you. So, um, <clears throat> so what I was saying that um, the the setting which we find ourselves in is that uh, the, the well the text is in. You know when, when the Lord Jesus Christ is giving his Sermon on the Mount, and this is is this is said to be uh, the greatest sermon ever preached, 
by the greatest preacher who has ever preached. And the Sermon on the Mount stretches from chapter 5, verse 1, to chapter 7, verse 29. So let me quickly give us a background of the gospel according to Matthew so that we understand really the, the, the background and what was going on and this will also help us to interpret scripture because a lot of people just jump into the scripture. They don't know the author. They don't know what was going on. They don't know what was happening. Uh, and so they just do whatever they want and open the scripture and read it and say, oh, God has spoken to me today. And not really having the tools or knowing how to uh, go about it. So the gospel according to Matthew uh, as the title suggests, uh, was written by Matthew himself. Uh, many scholars and commentators actually agree that Matthew was the author. <coughs> and uh, the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew got some of his material from Mark. In fact, that is why it's called the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they, they seem to have the similar information, but they have slightly different <coughs> angles. And this, of course, was written uh, between AD 80 and 100. That is uh, 100 years or 80 years after Christ ascended or after Christ had resurrected. And we see that the location of writing of math of the of, of the writing of the gospel according to Matthew was in Antioch, uh, which is in Syria, and and and, and of course uh, this was to a, a particular church which was being led by Ignatius. So so this was this was for the early church, and of course even as we read about it, we see that. Uh, Matthew was writing to uh, the church that was there was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And of course, the gospel according to Matthew is about the Lord Jesus Christ, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. That is why um, uh, I think Matthew starts with uh, uh, a genealogy in the beginning. Uh, of where the Lord Jesus Christ comes from, where the Lord Jesus Christ has descended, and and just really who the Lord Jesus Christ was, um, and his saving work. And the, the the gospel according to Matthew is divided into five major themes or topics. Uh, it, it talks about ethics, which we will see. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, we see discipleship and mission, the kingdom of heaven, the church, and the end time or end times. And so after that background, we quickly see that our text uh, falls into the category of ethics. In other words, Christian living. That is what ethics are. What characterizes Christian living is a changed heart which influences exterior conduct. Christianity is a religion as it were, 
which affects the person's heart. He's given a new heart. Um, you know, hence, I uh, will take away the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And this influences his conduct. Having his nature changed influences the way he lives. And so that is what Christian or what ethics are. The Christian who has been transformed by the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ and as a consequence has been um, regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God lives in a certain way. They have a disposition. They have this disposition. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is where this text finds itself. As I said earlier on, the greatest teacher of all time, the greatest preacher, the, great, the greatest rabbi of all time in the history of the world preaches the greatest sermon ever preached. And we read in, in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, we read the following. We see the location. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So we see the location, which is the mountain. And then we see the audience, the disciples. Now, some would argue that, okay, this was a mixture of the audience. Huh? Tavazo, please may you may you please mute your mic. Thank you. Um, so seeing the crowds, he went up onto the mountain. So we see that where he was, the location and the audience were his disciples. Now some may argue that okay, the audience was also there. Well, <clears throat> we can say yes and we can say no. But this was really the audience of this message was his disciples. And then we see there in verse 2 where it says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Da, 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 da. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So even as you see, these are called the Beatitudes, by the way. Uh, and Jesus Christ was basically teaching them the disposition of someone who has been saved uh, and and how to conduct themselves jesus uh teaches uh he cuts straight to the heart of the matter with his disciples he teaches them from uh, chapter 5 all the way to where our text is he teaches them on anger lust divorce retaliation um oaths um loving your neighbor or oh, sorry loving your enemies and giving to the needy the lord's prayer the fasting and we see there in chapter 6 verse 19 to 24 he teaches about laying up your treasures in heaven which now sets the tone for where our text is where we see that uh, he's talking about anxiety. First of all, I want to say this before we get into that, that 
when you see from, from, from chapter 6, verse 19, let me read from 19 to 21, so that you can see what, what, what I am talking about. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what the Lord, the basic, the basic message of this portion is that uh, if you lay up your treasures in heaven, you are occupied or preoccupied by the kingdom of God. So you will not worry. You will not be preoccupied with the anxieties of this life. There, of course, will be disappointments in this life. Once uh, there are thieves who break into our homes, there are things that break, gadgets break, there are things that uh, wane and, uh, and are destroyed, there are things that wilt. Nothing lasts forever apart from the kingdom of God. That is the basic message that we see there. And it sets the tone nicely where we even see the Lord Jesus Christ in, in verse 25 saying, therefore. So what is the therefore, therefore? It is a continuation of what he has been saying. But from verse 22 to 23 of chapter 6, you see the Lord Jesus Christ addressing the case of a straying eye. Um, basically, this is what the word of God reads. The eye is the lamp, of the, the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, the, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So the Lord Jesus Christ is basically talking about where you set your eye on. He's using uh, uh, an allegory that your eye, uh, your fixation will uh, in turn influence the way you live. So if your eye is full of darkness, if your fixation is on the world, then that means how great the darkness. The Lord Jesus Christ is saying, if you don't uh, firmly uh, fixate your eyes on the kingdom of God, on, on heavenly things, on eternal things, if you don't have your eye, uh, sorry, if you don't have eternity stamped on your, on your eyeball, as it were, then great is the darkness. So he paints a picture that, so there is a contrast. You, you need to choose. Where are you? You are either in darkness or you're in light. You're either focused on the darkness or you're focused on the light. And then, of course, verse 24, the Lord Jesus Christ talks about probably the biggest idol in the world. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The NASB says you cannot serve God and mammon. So this is not to say that money is not important. And this is not to say Christians are anti-money. That is not the point of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he say? He is saying that you cannot serve two masters. It's either I am your God or money is. It's impossible to serve both at the same time and be uh, sort of excelling in both. There has to be one who will be above the other. And so the question I have for you tonight is, who is your God? Is it the world? Is it money? Or is it God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, creator of heaven and earth, creator of the birds that we see outside, creator of everything, And then the Lord Jesus Christ gets into where our text is. Now, I hope, you're, I hope you're following. I hope you're following and seeing the trajectory. This is different from the charismatics who just, you know, pick up the text and, ah, all things and people are celebrating. Oh, all, and all these things will be added unto you. So far, we are seeing the Lord Jesus Christ drawing a grim contrast as he's preaching to his disciples, as he's teaching his followers. And this applies to his followers today. If you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a follower, if you're a child of God, this applies to you. Now we see here in verse 25 that the Lord Jesus Christ says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink. Know about your body. What you put on. It's interesting. I, I, I hope you see the connection. So first of all, he talks about eternity. Do not lay your treasures on earth. Lay them in heaven. Therefore. So, so if you lay your treasures in heaven. If you are heavenly minded, if you are Godward, uh, you won't be preoccupied and anxious about the things of this life. You won't be always oh, depressed. Oh, I, I, I'm anxious. I don't know what to do. Uh, I don't have this. Oh, what am, what am I going to eat tomorrow? What am I going to wear? Ah, no, you know, Zimbabwe is tough. You won't be anxious because you have eternity stamped on your eyeballs. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you drink, nor about your body, what you put on. The Lord Jesus Christ lists uh, three needs in this life. Three human basic needs. Food is a need. Drink is a need. You know, you need, you can't survive with wa without, without water and clothing to cover nakedness. Clothing to, to be warm in adverse 
cold conditions. And, and, and really, he strikes to the heart of the matter. Note, note carefully that this is not, he's not talking about wants. He's talking about needs. He's not talking about, oh yeah, you know, do not worry about what you're going to drive. <laughs> do not worry about where you're going to go to school. Uh, do not worry about the uh, vaccine. <laughs> the COVID vaccine. He's saying, do not worry about what your life, you know, do not be preoccupied about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, <coughs> and what you're going to drink. And then he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he gives an example. What an example. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. Look at the ravens. Look at the doves. Look at the owls. Look at the vultures. Look at all these small birds. What happens to them? They neither sow nor reap. They don't farm. Or they don't gather into barns. Birds do not farm maize. They don't farm vegetables. They are just provided for by God. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Mankind who is created in the image of God. They, we are not created like any other creatures. No creatures come close to us. We are created in the image of God. More than that, if we are actually children of God. God provides for our wants, sorry, for our needs, food, clothing, and drink. And then he goes on to say in verse 27, the folly or the uselessness or even more strongly, the stupidity of worry. Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? So even if you are a warrior, you can never add a single span or a single second to your span of life. He is just showing the folly of worry. That really worry is useless because the the hands of time are in the, uh, well, the, the, well, the annals of time are in the hands of a holy God. The God of the universe, the one who decides the beginning to the end. He knows everything. Nothing takes him by surprise. He himself is not anxious. He's not worried. Everyone right now is panicking, but God is not panicking. God is not panicked. And then he says, why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. So he also dresses the flowers. Yeah, why are you preoccupied about your clothing? I will provide. 
it's specially very um you know contextual to us today whereby yeah with the latest fashion and frenzy people have got an unhealthy obsession with clothing you find people with myriads of clothing in their wardrobes or many wardrobes or many shoe racks Jesus says, do not worry about those things. I will provide. Your Father in heaven will provide. And then he, he uses that same contrast that he used with the birds. How much more will you be clothed? You know, King Solomon was not even as well dressed as these. King Solomon in his splendor, in his riches, in his very valuable clothing cannot be compared to a lily on the field. Oh, you of little faith. Shows them their foolishness. Verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. The Gentiles, those who were not part of God's uh, initial covenant um, uh, nation that God made a nation a covenant with are the ones who are being alluded to here to say the Gentiles who are godless who were initially uh, not introduced to the statutes of God who had no Christ in this world are the ones who are preoccupied with the world the Gentiles seek after and, and yeah there, there, there's a whole lot of truth in that that gentiles us gentiles tend to be preoccupied with the world of course all all have fallen short of the glory of god even jews themselves but i'm just highlighting the truth that is coming out here <coughs> verse 32 for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here's the contrast, and here's the text. Where we are today. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, Friends, I want to say that you don't need a doctorate to understand what is being said. So what are the all things? Well, from the text it's obvious that in the context they are talking about needs. That if you are a child of God, all these things that are spoken about are needs. God will provide clothing. God will provide food. God will provide water. God will provide the basic necessities. But the main point of the text, even as you see it, is that our main priority should be the kingdom of God. God himself. The command there is seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And then the conclusion is that God will provide your needs. 
It's not saying most of us have got it upside down, you know. It's seek the things of the world, you know. And then afterwards, God becomes a handbag or even a jacket that we put on. In fact, sometimes we treat God like a genie. You know, you rub God, come out, God. Provide, provide. And then when God provides, you go back to sin. You go back to your life of sin. You go back to your life of debauchery. Oh, we, you know, we seek for the, we are preoccupied with the things of this world. Food, clothing, whatever, whatever. And then God comes last. The kingdom, so it's an upside down thing. And yet, what Jesus is saying to these people is that God is meant to be your highest priority. He's meant to be higher than your wife. He's meant to be higher than your very life. He's the first and foremost important thing in your life if you're a believer. For the, the world does not glorify God. The world does not worship God so they do not know God. I'm talking to believers. I'm saying to believers. Even in this time, especially now, in this COVID-19, where people are so preoccupied with their health. Oh, you know, I, I'll die. I, 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 you know, I can't evangelize. I can't go to church. I can't even help someone who's in need. Because I'm afraid of catching the virus. But what about ministering? What about carrying your cross? Picking up your cross daily and forsaking yourself. And denying yourself. Denying the flesh. For whoever tries to save his life will lose it. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 to 27. But whoever saves his life. Sorry. Whoever, whoever loses his life will be saved. Why are we getting it upside down? This was challenging to me to say even as a pastor, am I seeking the kingdom of God above all? Am I seeking God for who he is and then trusting God that God will provide my every need? I shouldn't be preoccupied with the, with, with the needs and wants of this life. To say, oh, I don't have this. I want this. God says, forget about that. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Saying, forget about these things. Focus on me. Now, <clears throat> we, we have to make, um, we have to see in the scriptures why this scripture can be twisted. For example, charismatics twist the scripture to mean that you must come to God. And he'll give you a car. So they'll say, all these things will be added to you. And you'll be like, hallelujah, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Let me run to God. They don't tell you that you need to repent of your sin. That uh, through hardships, we will see the kingdom of God. That tribulation will come when you're a Christian. In fact, when you're a Christian, tribulation increases. That's biblical Christianity. Look at the lives of the apostles. Look at Jesus himself. 
The Son of God suffered. Look at all the prophets beaten. Some were sown into two. Legend says Isaiah was, so, was sown into, into two. He was, he, was, he was martyred for preaching the gospel. Come to God, he'll give you a car. Come to God, he'll give you a wife. Come to God, he'll give you employment. Come to God, he'll give you, you'll be very wealthy and healthy. You will not be sick. There are some people who believe they cannot be sick. That's blasphemy of the highest order. There are people who believe they cannot die. <laughs> and, 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 and I think, what do you mean? People are dying all over the place and you're saying you won't die. How, in fact, how depraved is that? If you don't believe the total depravity of man, think about someone who comes to you and says, I do not die. I cannot die. Or I won't fall sick. Sickness, I rebuke sickness. Really? Or I rebuke the weather elements. Oh, I rebuke COVID. They treat God like a genie. In fact, they make God appear like a means to an end. Rather than God being the end himself. In fact, what they do is make Christianity like a get out of jail, sorry, get out of poverty free card. In fact, it's not even only charismatic, some evangelical, some Christians, oh yeah, you know, they, <laughs> they want to conform God to their image. God has to be on their schedule, not you on God's schedule, but God has to be on your schedule. God must conform to you. If, if trouble strikes, you are there cursing God. You are there making everyone think, oh yeah, this person shouting, complaining, God did this, God did that. I hate God. Uh, you know, I'm angry at God. Some of these things that, that, that peop these people talk about. The Westminster Shorter Catechism. The first question. What is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are created for God. God is not there for us. We are created for God. Now, and then verse 34, he says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. So after saying these things, after showing you your folly, showing you that he's the one who provides, from, from the day you were born, my friend, and to the day you are today, uh, to, to the age you are today, God has provided your every means. Whether it's education, whether it's school, whether it's clothing, whatever, from the day you were born until now, God has fed you better than the lilies of the field or the birds of the air. He has clothed you better than the lilies of the field. So, 
Does this change your approach to this text? Does it actually change the approach to biblical, to reading the Bible? So many things that I wanted to say. I want to go back to anxiety. <clears throat> Verse 31, the Lord Jesus Christ tells them why they shouldn't be anxious. Because anxiety exhibits lack of trust in God. God will provide your needs. God even provides your wants. But there we see that what is amplified in the text is needs. But I just want to dwell a bit on anxiety. Friends, anxiety is sin. When you are preoccupied by being anxious about tomorrow, anxious about, it shows a lack of grasping the sovereignty of God. That God is, is much bigger, much more vast than we make him up to be. If, even the slight, because uh, I mean, we are human beings. We fall short of the glory of God. We are going to be worrying and anxious. But the truth still remains in the word of God. We, we must be people who are sola scriptura. Go into the word of God. What does the word of God say? Forget about my feelings. Forget about what the world is saying. Forget about all the voices I'm hearing. What is the word of God saying? Oh, I'm anxious. Why are you anxious? Oh, you're not trusting God in this area. Go to God in repentance. Pray, Lord, I am anxious. And I know it's sin. Please forgive me. You provide everything for me. Needs. Why am I anxious about this? In your own time, I trust you, Lord. But even if it's not provided, you are still God. That, and that is where we miss it. Whatever we pray for and whatever we want, if it is not provided, for many people, God ceases to be God. Now, that is a Christianity that is anti-biblical. That's not, that's not biblical Christianity. There are so many people in history who have, you know, if you read biographies of... of um, <laughs> of missionaries and Christians, some who were diseased, some who never had children, some who lost limbs, lost eyes, their health deteriorated. I know someone who, had, who has been on dialysis uh, for about 40 years. And each and every time she's there going to the hospital, going to get another shot or whatever they do with the dialysis. Some who are crippled for life. And that is why the prosperity gospel is blasphemy. That is why people need to be told, listen, you need to repent from your sin of lying to people. Otherwise, you'll go to hell. You'll go to hell in a Mercedes Benz. After having robbed people, you'll go to hell 
in a jet. What does the word of God say? Seek first the kingdom of God. Be about God's business. Serve God. Attend to the means of grace. Be part of a local body. A healthy local body. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Be led by the Spirit. I shared earlier on, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Walk in the Spirit so that you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what Paul says in Galatians 5. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are you cultivating the virtues of Christianity in your life? The virtues that accompany the, the virtues that accompany someone who has been affected by the Holy Spirit of God. Not this mysticism they talk about rolling on the ground and say, Oh, you're being led by the Spirit, or speaking in gibberish, and then you say you are being led by the Spirit. No, no, no. We are talking about real Christianity. Life and death stuff, not games. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things which are trivial. All these things which, yeah, what can I say? Cost God nothing will be added unto you because these are his things will be added to you. I'll open it up now for questions and a discussion. Questions and discussion time.